probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome to The Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me for this last week is... Michelle Ashey. She's back. In a big way. <laughs> so, rather than punish anyone, a, a, a nice person online with having to go through these last four minutes of credits, I figured, who better than my loving wife to, <laughs> <laughs> to help me cover these uh, these final four minutes of the movie. So, uh, yeah, so today our, uh, our first minute, minute 106, begins with uh, the credits for makeup and ends a minute later with credits for the makeup crew, the special technician crew. Um, so. Hold on to your butts. Correct. It's about to get crazy. It sure <laughs> is. So um, tell me, what, what, did, what did you find about this minute? Some interesting stuff. I think you had a few notes. I mostly picked out weird names that I thought were either funny or cool. So I have a few of those. Um... Starting with Bob Weatherwax, mm-hmm. who was an animal trainer, followed by Dick Warlock, who oh, was boy. a stunt coordinator. Yes, we know. All, I, <laughs> I've got all kinds of information about our good pal Dick Warlock. Sorry, uh, you're hearing all my, yeah. my millions of <laughs> post-it notes of notes. Notes on notes. And then I had Charles E. I don't think it's pronounced nipple, but I like to think it is. <laughs> well, how's, how's it spelled? I didn't see that one. N-I-P-P-E-L-L. Maybe oh. Nippel. Oh, that poor guy. I'm sure it is Nippel. He's the but... electric best boy. Um, and then Michael Plug, which I think Plug is a oh, cool word. <laughs> Mike Plug is awesome. We've talked about him a lot on the show. And then I think my last weird, awesome name was Mentor Hubner. Oh, yes. I've got some really interesting stuff on Mentor Huber. He was a production, or they both, Michael Plug and Mentor Huber, were both production illustrators. Yes. <laughs> cool. So we'll definitely come across a few of those as we uh, as we go through. I've got some, got some interesting notes about a couple of those guys, to be sure. <laughs> um, so the first kind of, I, I just kind of picked out some credits of either positions that sounded interesting or names that looked familiar or to see if these guys had done anything interesting. So Here's um here's some of the stuff that I've got. Um, Kenneth Chase, who was a uh, uh, makeup for the mo- one of the makeup guys for the movie. Just I guess that's regular makeup, not like monster makeup. Just making Kurt Russell's cheeks look rosy. Exactly. <laughs> um, his face cheeks. <laughs> uh, for him, I thought it was interesting just looking at his first and last makeup credits. His first was for the original Planet of the Apes. I think he was like an assistant, and his last credit was for Old School. So yeah, very different, very different, yeah. <laughs> very different movies. Um, yeah, it'll be a running theme that these guys all work on like a huge variety of movies. It's not like, oh, I like horror movies. I'm going to do sound for just horror movies or makeup for just horror movies or whatever. Yeah, they really run run the gamut all over the place. Um, I also had uh, costume supervisors uh, Ronald L or Ronald I Kaplan and Gilbert Lowe. Uh, 
So, and the only reason I wrote them down is that maybe these two guys are the ones responsible for the child's jacket. Uh, I thought those were ladies. Suspicion. Yeah, probably. I found that later on, they've got other, a lot of these positions, there's kind of duplicates because they're for two different um, units, I guess. So these are mostly for, I think, the guys on set, hmm. like in LA. And then there's later on, there's a British Columbia unit. So maybe it depends on whether that scene was shot on set or in British Columbia. I'm not really sure. It's not an outdoor scene, so I'm guessing it might have been on the set. So maybe. it's hard to say. <laughs> Um, then there's script supervisor Candy Marcelino, who uh, might have been the one. There's a John Carpenter always says there was one female crew member and somebody who left due to a pregnancy, so that might be Candy Marcelino. Um, there's some other, although I think he's mostly talking about when they were actually up in British Columbia. So, and and it's funny because when we get to that part, that's also like the only woman on the crew in that section. It was uh, script supervisor was a like female only position for a long time. It used to be called script girl before it was script supervisor. And what um, does script supervisor do? So script supervisors actually have a really, really important job. Um, to, to put it really simply, the main thing they look at is continuity. So they're the ones who are making sure that the characters are dressed in the same, same way that they're supposed to be dressed. If they're filming the same day, they take notes on every take as far as like, Oh, the director said he really liked that one. I'm going to circle it. Or there was a plane in this one. So, you know, this might not be the best one for sound or, you know, somebody said the line slightly different. So script supervisor basically creates like this massive uh, binder based on the production and hands it over to post-production. So when the editor starts to work, if they're like, oh, I really need to find a take where he says the line this way or where he's wearing the right clothes or something, you can look in the notes there and find that kind of stuff. So script supervisor is really, really important. Um, it's kind of, a, it's a pretty interesting position. Um, I've done some pretty, pretty cool script supervisors working on, on stuff in the past. So if someone left during the shooting, would they not have got replaced that person? It sounds pretty important. <laughs> it is weird, right? And it is, if she is the one female, um, that John Carpenter talks about, he does say that, that in, in the, I think it's an IMDb trivia. It says that person was replaced with a man, but yeah, it doesn't say it doesn't have like two script supervisors yeah. listed or something like that. So I don't know, but having the script supervisor leave halfway through the movie would explain why the movie is so different from the script. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that has something to do with that. I had uh, the Candy Marcelino, the script supervisor for the LA portion. She also worked on a notably 48 episodes of Murphy Brown and 74 episodes of Hannah Montana. Yay. <laughs> so I have no idea what Murphy Brown is. What? what? <laughs> we were born in the same year. Were we not? I guess. You never saw Murphy Brown? I don't know what that is. Murphy Brown was like a, um, I don't know if it's a, probably not a sitcom really. It was like a dramatic comedy, like primetime show. I think it was, she was a lawyer. Seriously, I cannot believe you don't Allie know Murphy McBeal? Brown. No, this is way before Allie McBeal. I loved Murphy Brown Single when I was a kid. Single lawyer? Totally. Same idea, I think. Wow. Mind I blown. Know. I still don't know. I'll I, never know. You're only not 10, <laughs> 10 months younger than me. How is this possible? It's a big age gap. Wow. All right. Um, I know Hannah Montana. Uh, <laughs> only because I had a little sister. Yeah, sure. <laughs> not because I watched it. Sure. Uh, next up is our our good friend Dick Warlock, who has been with us from the very beginning of the podcast. So we've had our Warlock watch. Dick Warlock showed up in a bunch of cameos. He was stunts. Um, yeah, so I had some uh, some information about Dick Warlock that we haven't brought up before. Um, first of all, his website is amazing. and I've Amazingly great? 
Sure. <laughs> Everybody should go to dickwarlock.com. It's a website that it's looks... It's not a porn site. <laughs> it is not a porn site, although it kind of sounds like it. Dick Warlock. Um, it looks like it was made with like GeoCities in like 1999. Um, and it has like a million buttons at the top of the website. And all the little like when you've made your first website, all the little doodads you could add <laughs> that like no website, no self-respecting website now would ever have. It's is, on his site. Is there dancing text? Uh, there, or sparkles? I believe there are sparkles, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, but for example, according to the counter at the bottom of the page, <laughs> his website has had 530,699 visitors. That's not bad for being around since the 90s, I guess. Yeah, so it's a pretty popular <laughs> website, I <Yeah>. guess. Um, <laughs> some other highlights of the website. Uh, the um, One of the links is for the t-shirt shop, and t is in quotes by itself, as if like... It's you know, what the kids tea. call a T-shirt. <laughs> and uh, then there's also a button at the top that just says cowboy stuff. <laughs> um, That's weird. What is under the cowboy stuff? I think it was like he had, I think he did, he was a cowboy when he was a kid or he worked on a ranch or something like that. And now that he's older, he's gotten back into that kind of stuff. So it's just pictures of him like on ranches and with other like dudes. This is the, probably the Sam only appropriate Elliot? time to say dudes. <laughs> On a dude ranch? Probably. Him and Sam Elliott probably get along well. He's probably probably the most famous thing he did was he played Michael Myers, a.k.a. The Shape, in Halloween 2. What? But he has 210 stunt credits to his name. He's been in like a bajillion movies. My favorite sentence from his uh, bio on his website uh, is when he's talking about when he met uh, and worked with Walt Disney, which is where he met uh, Kurt Russell. Uh, it says, uh, Mr. Disney became very fond of Dick. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he did. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, that sentence really stood out for obvious reasons. Um, so yeah, he met Kurt Russell when Kurt Russell was celebrating his 18th birthday while they were filming the computer wore tennis shoes. And they, uh, they got along really well and they noticed that, um, they had kind of similar builds, I guess. So, uh, after that he, um, he doubled for Kurt Russell for about 25 years. So, Almost every movie after uh, after the computer wore tennis shoes, um, he stunt doubled for Kurt Russell, which is kind of cool, kind of well, funny at least to think. He, yeah, he was with Kurt Russell the whole time. He could have like been a double for someone dumb. <laughs> well, I'm sure he was. <laughs> I don't think Kurt Russell is the only person he no, doubled. For. He's his only double. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of interesting. I mean, to it's think a good about. double to have. Well, yeah, Dick Warlock's the fucking man, and it's all like action <laughs> movies for Kurt Russell, so it's fun. Escape from New York. Escape from L.A. <laughs> Escape from a lot of things, probably. Yeah. Um, one of the other notable... Uh, he had a lot of really interesting credits, but uh, one of the other notable ones was that he um, doubled for Richard Dreyfus in Jaws during the shark cage sequences, what? which is That's pretty cool. awesome. So it makes me wonder as a stuntman if you're just if any basically that just means you do anything dangerous like i can't like anything if, where your face doesn't be like isn't <laughs> featured right well like it sounds like he was mostly did you know like the whole cowboy stuff thing it makes me think he's doing like you know horse riding tricks and like jumping off buildings or jumping through glass and stuff but then they're like hey um do you want to like get in a cage with a live shark and he's like mm, do okay. i <laughs> hell yeah like those things don't seem to have a lot in common other than like risking your life for money yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting um you mentioned mr bob weatherwax uh, weatherwax did you have any information about him aside from his interesting name no <laughs> I tried to look up the origin of the name, but I couldn't find anything. Well, I, I'm sure you do, though, looking at those post-its. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> yeah, my notes are pretty ridiculous. Um, I didn't find genealogy notes about his name or anything, but I, what I did find was uh, very interesting that um, he was the assistant trainer for the original Lassie, and yeah. he was the owner and trainer <laughs> of the 90s reboot of Lassie. And when I looked into that further, it turns out his family, his dad was the trainer and owner of Lassie. So he grew up with Lassie. I was going to say, I was hoping he came from a long line of weather waxes who he did. animal trained. He absolutely did. <laughs> I don't know if it's more than just him and his dad, but the two of them definitely did. I like to think it's everyone in his family. <laughs> and um, uh, so, yeah, he said uh, in a little description on his website, uh, which is uh, weatherwax do- weatherwaxtraineddogs.com. Um <laughs> They said that the Lassie really was like super well trained, and they would literally leave Lassie to babysit him when he was what? like a toddler. Which sounds insane. <laughs> sounds like a movie. Um, I think our cat would just like sleep on our face and kill us. Well, if yeah, we left I mean, her to babysit. <laughs> unquestionably, the, the toddler would not survive. Um, he wrote a book called Four Feet to Fame: A Hollywood oh. Dog Trainer's Journey." <laughs> Four paws to fame. <laughs> which, uh, if anyone wants to read. We'll, uh, we'll do a special episode on it. I'm challenging the, the listeners. If anyone wants to read Bob <laughs> Weatherwax's uh, autobiography. Um, and yeah, his web, that website, uh, Weatherwax Train Dogs, also has a genealogy of Lassie. So bizarrely enough, like there's still like a, uh, a descendant of Lassie that's still alive. I'm sure. Like acting and stuff, which they is probably crazy. like bred the hell out of Lassie. I think they did. <laughs> it was like Lassie and Laddie and yeah, it was, it was crazy. I had no idea. So who knew? <laughs> um, then we had uh, Clint Rowe, who we've talked about a lot on the show, so I won't go into it. But yeah, he was the dog trainer and owner of Jed, the dog in this movie. Also, he trained Frank the Pug in Men in Black. Yes, we mentioned Hooch <laughs> uh, uh, last yeah. week or, or sometime, but I did not know about that. He's a little pug dog. And Well, he's not the pug dog. He trained the pug dog. <laughs> which And that dog like talks, like it has like a human voice in that movie, yeah. right? I don't really remember <laughs> Uh, I think a voice by Tim Blaney. Tim Blaney. Well, <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think the dog was like, was he? Did he like guard the door to the Men in Black facility? I thought he was an agent. Yeah, yeah, he might have been the receptionist. I haven't seen it in like fifteen yeah, years. Been quite a while since I've seen MIB, the yeah. original. <laughs> uh, but yeah, now I'll have to go back and see Clint Rose, uh, his other dog. James Colovin was the assistant trainer for, I guess, I guess for Jed, or one, or he might have been. I don't know. Maybe the other dogs. Who knows? But I ha- the only reason I mention him is because his IMDb trivia is bonkers. Um, so let me just read a little bit of this here. It says uh, James Colovin. Oh, first of all, it says his nickname is the trainer, uh, which that's it's like a superhero okay. name. Yeah. Uh, here's some trivia. Uh, invented the behavioral concept of having a dog actor watch a human actor extensively using human methods of operation right into their eyeballs <laughs> <laughs> on cue for the purpose, among other very important reasons, to enhance the digital dog talking process that allows a dog actor to deliver his or her voiceover lines directly to the human actor? Question mark, it says. Uh, however, Does this that is- just mean like the dog doesn't blink? Ever? Yeah, it sounds like they make the dog watch the human <laughs> actor say the lines. And I don't know why it says these. And then the dog melts <laughs> Watch <back>. right into <laughs> their eyeballs. <laughs> Just the eyeballs. Um, it says, however, this is not to be confused with traditional methods used where an animal where animals were required to talk on many well-known animal talking films. Also... 
No peanut butter, basically. <laughs> yeah. Also, not to be confused with other copied versions now used in the film and television industry. Although he created this unique behavioral design in the early 70s, it was never used on film until the early 80s. So, this... <laughs> Okay, I'm imagining like a clockwork orange setup with these dogs <laughs> where their eyes are just like peeled back, like watching hours and hours of actors talking. I mean, the whole thing is is weird enough that I know James Colovin wrote this himself, of clearly, course. because it also sounds really bitter, like not to be confused yeah. with <laughs> copied versions. But yeah, the first. it's all weird. But the whole right into their eyeballs, like what? I don't think he's human. <laughs> it's very strange. Um, and the yeah. other bit that kind of ties into that says incorporated that same behavioral concept to have a dog actor watch a tangible object such as a bottle used as a prop question mark. He created this unique behavior in 1978, but it wasn't used on film until 1981 on a film titled The Thing. Oh, I wonder what that movie is. <laughs> so I guess they made Jed look at props. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's really strange. I'm curious to know how that was actually incorporated. I wonder if James T. Colovin was the guy they were like, this dude's crazy. Like he thinks he can talk to dogs or something. Well, we need like behind the scenes footage of this guy, like with the dogs. Oh. And I'll, going crazy. And I'll bet everybody's like, and this guy wanted us to call him the trainer. It's like, it's really weird. I'm the trainer. <laughs> so, yes, interesting IMDb trivia. So, Michelle had this idea that for each set of these credits, we should pick out one of the jobs or one of the like departments. And then we should think of our like favorite movies where those departments do really interesting or funny or memorable stuff. So, for this minute, we have, we picked dog trainer. And so we picked our top movies that featured dogs that were trained. <laughs> Wait, is it just dogs? Because it can be animals too. Okay, good. I have one that is it has a dog in it, but it's mostly not a dog. Okay, because <laughs> only two of mine are dogs. The others are other animals. <laughs> I have mostly all dogs. Surprisingly, so I have like we... seven dogs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so should we alternate, or should we go through one list first and the other? We can alternate. Okay, well, you sound like you have a lot more than me, so you go, you go first. <laughs> My number one dog movie, Homeward Bound. That's a pretty good one. That's one that, that's Two the one, dogs and a cat. That's the one where the dog gets the uh, porcupine needles in his face, right? Yeah, Chance. Chance, that's right. Yeah, we and watched they talk. And Shadow. Do you think and they sassy. were... Sassy. Were did you find out where they trained by James Colovin and his advanced technique? No, I didn't get that in depth. <laughs> I just focused on the dog part. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that movie. That was a movie I watched the VHS tape of like a hundred times. Yeah, me too. I didn't even think about that movie. Oh man! Well, now I know what your next. One's yeah, be like for a sure. thousand of these kids. We'll, dog we'll do it. Do another one because I think you have more than me. <laughs> okay, Milo and Otis. Yeah, I knew that was coming. That one. I don't really know if they count as being trained though, because they just like followed these dogs across the wilderness. That's the most bizarre. Somebody needs to do a movie by minute on. Well, it's a cat and a dog too. Yeah, and so... they use multiple dog and cats for this movie <laughs> well and that I, I don't know that much about it but i do know it was like a japanese crew and it was yeah. like <laughs> yeah it almost sounds like they just filmed a documentary of, of these animals lives and then like made up a story and added yeah voiceover like the fox running around yeah dancing and stuff <laughs> super weird um yeah that's a good one all right um first one i've got well i'll just get the obvious one out of the way um Jed and the Thing is really uh, good. Well, I didn't count that one. <laughs> How many minutes are dedicated to Jed? <laughs> yeah, we talked about Jed a lot, so I won't go into Give it. Another but dog he's amazing. <laughs> he's amazing. So go ahead. 
Well, I'm going to throw these two together because I have so many dog movies. Okay. Um, Beethoven and Airbud. <laughs> wow, two very different movies. Wait, I mean, Airbud plays basketball. How many Airbud movies are there? There's probably like 17. I think, I think like... his grand dogs had. Well, yeah, now it's own. buddies. Yeah. <laughs> They've moved on to the puppies. There's like space buddies. And, and there's stuff. at least five Beethovens because Beethoven had puppies too. This is true. But I mean, I don't know. I think Airbud wins that one because he's a dog who not only plays professional basketball, <laughs> but also professional football, baseball. He puts Jed Probably to shame. hockey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. I don't know that Jed plays any sports professionally. I mean, maybe some table tennis and something. But... Blinking contest. <laughs> <laughs> good, good picks. And yeah, Beethoven, that was another one. I think Beethoven's... Uh, What's the sequel called? It has a funny name. Beethoven's Second. Yes, of course. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. I wa- definitely watched that one a lot as a kid. Uh, okay. Here's one I've got that you're going to like. Uh, there's a lot of animals in this movie, but in particular, the snakes in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, duh. I didn't even think about Pee-wee. <laughs> so, yeah. Pee-wee's Big Adventure is one of our favorite movies. And there, if you haven't seen it, there's a scene where he's... He's afraid of snakes, and he but he does the right thing, and he's saving all these animals from a burning pet shop. Yeah, and he keeps having to go back for. Uh, he keeps getting other animals instead of the snakes. He waits to get the snakes last, <laughs> and then he grabs the snakes and runs out of the store, and he like screams and passes out with all these snakes in his hands. <laughs> That's hilarious. All the animals in that scene are pretty awesome, but uh, yeah, that... I don't know how well trained they are. Those are like authentic animals. That's true. <laughs> if you, if you want to go with one like another Tim Burton one, you could probably say like that dog in Beetlejuice that like. Yeah, balanced with the car uh, at the beginning. Pretty, pretty cool. I also have. I thought this was the one you're gonna say, which might be. It might beat Homer Bound, Babe. Oh yeah, technically babe. a dog. Man, you, I you mean got, a pig. <laughs> you got some really obvious ones that I totally didn't even think. It's of. all kids movies, <laughs> but Babe has like a pig, a horse, goats, sheep. <laughs> chickens i don't know all the farm animals and little known fact yeah little known (laughs) fact those animals really did learn to speak english yeah and they sang songs right um does ba ram you count as a song (laughs) yes (laughs) um and then i had two more dog movies i'm just gonna throw them together one is cujo Mm, good call because he's kind of trained i mean he's pretty scary how do you train a dog to be that scary without actually biting See, someone? See, <laughs> I don't think, to me, I, and I know a lot of people disagree on this, I don't think that movie's that scary. But, because to me, he's just a big slobbery dog. He's he has like, rabies. I guess I'm not afraid of dogs, so it doesn't really resonate with me. But I get it. Good pick. Yeah. And then the most recent dog I totally forgot about was in The Artist. Oh, my God. He's that like dog won an Oscar. Trained. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about that dog. Yeah. I he had totally a name, too. too. Yeah, he was, like, in, at the Oscars and everything. Yeah, I think he even had a little, little tux. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. He he jumped on somebody's shoulder, right? Maybe. I think, I feel like, I don't know if this was the same year as Man on Wire. I feel like I'm mixing up the two things yeah. <laughs> where the guy from Man on Wire balanced the Oscar on his chin and the dog also <laughs> somehow balanced the Oscar on his head or something. Those two should meet. <laughs> yeah, if they haven't already. Um, I had one that ties into Babe uh, by the same director. Pick in the City? George, no, no, not Babe, Pick in the City. Uh, George, another George Miller-directed movie, The Road Warrior, the dog that hangs around with Mad Max and The Road Warrior. I barely remember there being a dog. Was he in it for the whole thing? I think so, yeah. Huh. I can't remember what happens to the dog. I've only seen Road Warrior a couple times. It's been a long time. But uh, yeah, yeah. I remember there's a dog and he's awesome. I tried to look up and the dog is not credited. He doesn't Aww. have a name. So dog. sorry, dog. You don't get your day today. <laughs> 
Um, Do you have any more good animal training ones? Because I have one bad one. I have two. I have two more good ones. Okay, you go. Okay, um, <laughs> the cat, or probably multiple cats, in Inside Lewin Davis. Oh, those little orange tabbies. Yes, and because the cat plays a really important, weird, like surreal role. Yeah, where, he's like, like really chill. <laughs> well, and he's just like the cat escaping from the apartment is kind of what like starts the story off, and then like there's all this weird stuff where like he keeps seeing cats and thinking it's the same one and. I, it, it's like this weird, surreal part of the movie. It's one of my favorite parts of that movie. So, yeah, I love that yeah. cat. I love cats. It's true. <laughs> Fun fact. So give me another one. What you got? Well, I only have a bad one. Well, go ahead. Okay. For the most untrained animal movie <laughs> that we have seen, okay, I'm going to go with Roar. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. That's such a good pick. All right. So please explain this. So Roar is a movie. I don't remember who directed it. But um, who's the family? Who, what celebrities? Mel- Melanie Griffith. Yeah, no, is that true? No, it's what's her name from the from the birds? Tippy Hedren. Oh, Tippy Hedren. Um, yeah. So her husband, I guess, was obsessed with lions, and so this whole movie is about this family who goes and lives, like on a lion. What do you call it? Um, re- uh, not resort. That's not no. Um. <laughs> Ugh. It's not I'd, preservation. Kind of, yeah. It's like a sanctuary. A yeah. lion sanctuary. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Except this movie, they used real lions. There are like so many lions just running around doing <laughs> their lion things. And there's tight. Is there more than lions? I think it's a big cat sanctuary. Yeah, too, big so yeah. Cats. I think there's tigers. I think too. there's tigers. And like people got severely hurt on this film <laughs> it's it's the one of the weirdest like cinematic experiences ever because it's not even like there's not even really a story it's basically just like they filmed about like lots of footage of them like running around with these lions yeah basically <laughs> trying to survive in their own like like swiss family robinson style house and and From just the, hell yeah i mean <laughs> basically just the entire movie all of their belongings are being destroyed by these animals yeah, the and they're like hiding in fear <laughs> they don't act like they're scared but they're like hiding in fear constantly well, like their it's daughter super got bizarre. her face like clawed to, i don't know um, and we also we got our experience for this movie we got to see it at the atlanta zoo which is so, pretty cool yeah that was cool um, but yeah, highly recommended just for like being one of That's the strangest insane. movies out there ever made, for sure. So just um, people being attacked by lions. <laughs> that was an excellent choice. Good call. Uh, my last one was uh, The Goat in <laughs> The Witch, Black oh, Philip. Black Philip. <laughs> because Black Philip 100% convinced me that he was the devil incarnate. So I mean, that goat was really good. Intense. He was I a good goat. I think he was the devil. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, those were my five uh, five ones for sure. Well, those were all of my favorite childhood dog movies. <laughs> <laughs> Good choices. Good choices. Um, so uh, I guess kind of moving moving down through the credits. Um, let's see. Who did I else have? I found a lot of people that had worked on other John Carpenter stuff. And, um, and it also seems like a lot of these guys uh, that kind of begin uh, when the credits roll here are people who followed Dean Cundy around. So like the gaffers like um, Mark Walthor and Tom Marshall seems like they did followed him um, when he DP'd on stuff like Escape from New York and Back to the Future and Jurassic Park, um, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, and then one of, the, one of those guys, Tom Marshall, also he went on to become his own, a cinematographer in his own right, and he did a lot of TV like Ellen and Wings and Grounded for Life. 
Remember Grounded for Life? No. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pretty good show. It was like one of those like posts. I think it was a post Simpsons show, like came on after Simpsons. It only lasted like a couple seasons. Yeah. But it was a good show. So yes, you. I think believe you had something to say about the Boom Man. Just that I thought they should have put Boom Thing, because like why else would you specify he's a man? Like, <laughs> nah. that's, that's very boring that's I, just my two cents <laughs> I tried to look up because uh, I, I thought it was funny that it was called Boom Man too because obviously now we call them Boom Operators but I, I, try, I tried to look up like when that changed if that was like a big deal like a union thing or what but uh, yeah I have no idea why some movies it's yeah. Boom Man some it's Boom Operator because only a man can do this job you're damn right <laughs> and um, then I also had I didn't know what a swing gang was and I like to think it was John Carpenter employing like a chain gang, but <laughs> I thought you were gonna wasn't. say like like swing dancing gang. <laughs> no, <laughs> but yeah, swing gang is just the people who are in charge of the sets that move or swing. <laughs> yeah, which is I didn't know that. I looked that up too. Yeah, it's the swing gang, and the head of the swing gang is called the lead man. Hmm. And it yeah, does sound like a dance group then. <laughs> yeah, kind of. But yeah, basically they deal with last minute set changes, moving heavy furniture, like striking big equipment that needs to be moved real quickly, stuff like that. So they basically just hang around all day and wait for it to be told to like move heavy stuff. Yeah. Which sounds like a very interesting job on set. <laughs> uh, let's see some other interesting stuff I had for guys on the credits. Um, oh, the boom man, Joe Brennan. He did uh, almost every John Carpenter movie from Halloween through Vampires, which is a lot. That might be like one of the highest collaborative uh, guys, you know, the guys who've been with him the longest. He also was a boom operator on No Country for Old Men, which is cool. And a whole bunch of Adam Sandler movies. Oh. Which, uh, <laughs> Zach and I discovered this last week that I guess the sound mixer from this, um, Thomas Causey, I think is his name, worked on probably the two directors he worked with the most are John Carpenter and Adam Sandler, <laughs> which is pretty interesting. You wouldn't put those two together. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a guy named David Katz who's given a credit for recordist. And I have no idea what that means or what he did exactly. I've done a lot of research on the sound of this movie and I've never come across his name. So I have no idea. He probably recorded like one sound effect that like nobody else could just get to in time or something. I'm really curious. So if you're listening, David Katz, let me know. (laughs) Let's see. Oh, it says that the titles are by Universal. I found a cool um, Flickr. You remember Flickr? Uh, Not really. (laughs) (laughs) I found a Flickr album online of a whole bunch of... um, movie titles that Universal put together that's kind of interesting. So I'll post that too. It's just a bunch of like classic movies that they did. Like what? I have no idea. <laughs> I didn't write any down, but I, the album was kind of interesting to look at. This Sorry. minute is ruined. <laughs> we got another Rocky, Rocky Corsini, who did craft services and had no other credits ever. He only worked on the thing. So he basically, they just brought him on to bring snacks. <laughs> so the production illustrators, you mentioned Mike Plug earlier, yes. who is awesome. Um, Mike Plug was a comic artist. We've talked about him a lot uh, already, so I won't go into a lot of detail on him. But the other production illustrators I looked up, Mentor Hubner, who was another weird name you mentioned. He, <laughs> I'm looking at his IMDb trivia right now, and it's insanely long. Um, he, Mentor Hubner, had 184 credits from 1940 until uh, 1999, uh, including some movies like Blade Runner, Total Recall, and Mac and Me. <gasps> Mac and Me! So... Um, yeah, he has a whole lot of experience with, uh, uh, you know, I, well, what I meant to say is he's his kind of production design, his illustrations have defined, like, the look of a lot of, like, classic sci-fi movies from the 80s and stuff, which is cool. Were either of these, I guess we don't know, were they the people who did, like, the 
like background paintings with the ship no, and stuff? No, that's Albert Whitlock. Those are the map paintings. These guys drew like these are like concept art and stuff like that. Mm. So I've seen a lot of the of the drawings that Mike Plug did of like he did kind of like concept illustrations of a lot of the monsters. So you got an idea of what that stuff looked like from him. Um, I don't know what these other two guys really, if they did other monster designs or the UFO or the look of the base or maybe even like costumes, like I have no idea, but, um, yeah, I wanted to mention, uh, his bio on IMDb is incredibly strange and it is 90% talking about his wife. Uh, I was just reading that. So, yeah. yeah, And, and, uh, and so this guy's name is Mentor Hubner. And let me just say this mini bio was submitted by, uh, somebody with the uh, email address Louis, Louise uh, Hibner at AOL.com. So I think we know where this came from. In 2002. So uh, I'm just going to read this really quickly because it's very interesting and strange. Uh, Mentor Hubner's wife, Louise, managed his business affairs both in fine arts and filmmaking and wrote and negotiated most of his contracts. She is a writer and has authored 14 books. She is known worldwide as the official witch of Los Angeles County. <laughs> yeah, took an interesting turn there. Uh, in 1968, almost one year to the day when Buzz Aldrin went to the moon, <laughs> she was invited by the L.A. Parks and Recreation to cast a spell at the Hollywood Bowl. The spell she cast was to increase sexual vitality for the entire county of 78 what? cities. <laughs> for her, quote, weird. services, she was given a scroll which included the county seal. It was awarded to her by the chairman of the county board of supervisors, then Ernest Debs. It designated her as official witch. <laughs> Later, when the county wished to rescind the title, Louise threatened I to. Why. De- oh, this, it gets weirder. <laughs> when they threatened to rescind the title, Louise threatened to desex all the elected officials, pointing out the legality of the document. What? She won. Photographs. She won what? Yeah, I don't know what that means. I guess she. Not desexing everybody? <laughs> or they didn't rescind her title as official witch. Like, don't take um, it from us. <laughs> photographs of Mentor and Luis and their children, along with a copy of her scroll, can be viewed in one of her books, which is called Never Strike a Happy Medium. This is weird. <laughs> Isn't that incredibly strange? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I have no idea what's up with that. Um, but yeah, he's got all kinds of interesting trivia about his painting and stuff. It sounds like he was very, very cool. Wait, he only had one eye? Wait, what? Says he lost his right eye through cancer when he was 29 years old. Wow. Go yeah, this photo. This guy has such a weird, <laughs> interesting career. He's a cool, very cool looking picture on IMDb. But he has two eyes. He's like, oh, I think it's a painting. <gasps> weird. Is he painting himself? Maybe, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so he apparently had one eye and... There is so much trivia for this guy. Yeah, it's, it's weird. insane. Very weird. Um, he was bitten by a brown recluse spider when he was working on Spider-Man and the effects of the poisoning ultimately <laughs> led to a series of complications that though seemingly unrelated eventually con- contributed what? to his death. So he died. I thought he was going to say like he became Spider-Man. <laughs> well, wait, which Spider-Man is that? He didn't work on like... I have no idea. Uh, yeah. Unless it's under like some other category. I don't even see Spider anywhere in his I credits. think someone's just taking control of their trivia <laughs> and seeing um, how far they can go with it. Yeah, that's really weird because I don't even see... I mean, his last credit was in 1999, which is well before Spider-Man. Weird. I don't know. His his trivia is long and very strange. So, yeah, worth a read. Mentor Hubner. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think the only other one I had for this minute was uh, Margaret Becerra, who's one of the other few uh, women on the crew. 
She was a special technician. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but um, she's still working today as a makeup artist. She worked on uh, Westworld, the TV show, cool. which is kind of cool. Westworld's awesome. Westworld is awesome. So yeah, I thought that was kind of neat. So yeah, that's all I had. This episode is way longer than I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, <laughs> all those dog movies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, that I think that'll wrap up uh, minute one oh six of the thing. So. Uh, our, uh, our fourth minute of credits here. We're, we've got just a couple left. So thanks for sticking with us and uh, make sure to um, check out thethingminute.com for a full show notes. I'll include links to some of this weird crap we've been talking about and uh, some pictures and stuff like that if I can find any. And uh, yeah, just make sure to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com there you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. Harper signing out.